guys, welcome to episode 7 of the podcast that is Color and Emotion. My name is Rebecca and here I am in the soup in the parking lot of a shopping center that contains a caribou. On my way to get the espresso shot that is partially sponsoring this episode, which by the way, life hack, caribou corporate hack. So I have some points in my app and I had like an awkward amount of points where it's like either you use them now and squander your opportunity to get a free whole entire like crafted drink in the next, you know, reasonable amount of days or you don't use the points and then whatever I was going to buy was still not going to garner me enough points to get a crafted beverage. So what I did, I think this is the Holy Spirit just being like, hook it up, homie girl. So what happened was, I was like, you know what, I'll just get a large coffee and then I'll add a shot of espresso. And I was thinking they were probably going to charge me for this shot of espresso, but they did not. So I basically was able to get a, what do they call it? It's not a red eye at Caribou, it's a um, depth charge. So basically I was able to get a depth charge. I got a large coffee with a shot of espresso, two turbinado sugar packets, and a little bit of heavy cream. So really, basically about as crafted as you're going to get for 50 points on the app. So that's just a little tip for you guys who are into the caribou blue, uh, fair trade coffee, hook it up. So anyway, I went to caribou on my way. Um, I had a thought about where people come from and what they produce. And it led to another realization about Cain and his mistakes. So the thought I had is that God doesn't judge us by other people's fruit in either direction. He doesn't say, yikes, they did all that and this is the what you could come up with. <laughs> tisk tisk. But nor does he look at someone else and say, well, at least you did better than that guy. So that'll do. And to quote babe, that'll do pig, that'll do. So lately I've been learning more about mercy. And I think in some ways I always understood its distinction from grace in that I had this like foolish arrogance that kept me from seeing mercy as something that I desperately needed every day. I really didn't think of myself as worthy in comparison to all these other people of God's wrath and holy judgment. In all honesty, I thought if there is a reasonable standard to be met and a group of people that were capable of meeting it, surely I would be among them. <laughs> so really, I just lost in a technicality, what with being shaped in iniquity and all, which is something that I had nothing to do with. So like Mona Lisa Saperstein, I would have thought it only a slight exaggeration to say that I have never done anything wrong ever. <clears throat> I thought of my dependence on God as a deeply embedded flaw that only became lodged in me as a result of the fall. Which reminds me, you guys, sorry, let me get a little sip of my depth charge here. Reminds me that I learned a really cool word the other day from a book I was reading, and the word is post-lapsarian, which basically just means after the fall of man. And I think that that is gloriously contextual and highly specific to the faith and a perfect word to use. So considering my faultless, as in I had nothing to do with my imperfection, <laughs> I resented myself at a fundamental level for having post-lapsarian needs that I could not meet and for not being self-sufficient. And I think a great deal of this, unfortunately, probably was a result of some of the um, ways in which my environment shaped me and the challenges of my environment and being a middle child and kind of 
whether or not it was explicitly communicated to me, whether or not my parents would have wanted me to think or believe this, I did come to believe at an early age that there was much in life that I either needed to figure out for myself and obtain for myself or just do without. So that kind of mixed in with this resentment of not being self-sufficient because I was constantly falling short at being able to take care of myself. Um, which again is not a child's job, (laughs) you know, so it's just real sad, but I had no category for the beauty that is being dependent on love by design, but God chose to obligate himself to us and then fulfill that obligation despite our rebellion and betrayal to demonstrate to us and to all the ages and all of creation that he is worthy of the worship he requires. And this is such a beautiful thing and a very like something that's like super unique to humans because so many of the other creatures that God created, like they don't seem to have the capacity to rebel. And so to have so much of creation, whether it's like, you know, what is that verse about the craggy something of Lebanon, like the snow-capped mountains, like the snow doesn't just jump off the mountaintops and be like, I'm not going to be snow today. I'm going to slide down here and be mud or like, I'm going to jump off and become a butterfly. Like it doesn't do that. Creation doesn't do that. The cherubim and the, you know, creatures around the throne for all of eternity have not stopped being what God created them to be, which is worshipers. But humans have had the opportunity to look God in the face and say, we don't want you. We'll take it from here. And he still has demonstrated himself to be worthy of that love and that worship that he requires of everyone and everything in the universe. So um, that is a beautiful thing to come to realize. But this other, you know, collective terrible theology that I accumulated over the years about like, if I could have been perfect, then I would ever, whatever, like that made me become a raging self-righteous perfectionist. So a few years ago, God divinely intervened and mercifully pointed out to me that self-righteousness is not a cute, tolerable Bible belt personality flaw. He essentially straight up told me one day as I was like praying earnestly that God, if I could just uproot every ounce of ungodliness in myself, I would like, Basically, he was like, I'm gonna stop you right there. Like, no, immediately no. (laughs) Because basically what I'm saying in that moment is that if I could be my own God, I would. And also, like losing Price is Right music, okay? Because like, that is the nature of the enemy. So what I had formerly felt was like so right and holy and this like, oh, if I could just be like, if I could make myself be holy, then I would like, that's the very thing that makes me unrighteous and in need of the bleeding red righteousness of Jesus and to be clothed in his love and righteousness and purity because I don't have any of my own and I cannot produce it. So again, I say, yikes, wanting to be your own God is precisely the nature and aim of Satan. So If that's you, (laughs) repent and get it together, amen? So as the Lord was showing me this, I was also able to see the beauty of being designed in dependence on him, like I was mentioning before, and just like the relief it is to know and to really see and understand that it's not my job to sustain myself. It is not my job to sustain myself. Selah. Even before sin and the fall, the very way that God made us when everything was good, his strength was revealed as perfect in my designed weakness. And knowing that truth should keep me humble and appropriately postured in my heart. 
And it's not supposed to be some terribly suspenseful experience. Like, I've made jokes with my sisters in the past couple years about, like, God's masculinity. (laughs) How, like, he likes to have this masculine, exciting approach to life sometimes to remind us that he is God over time. And I think a lot of times, women in particular, we like to know where we're going. We like to have the route planned out with station you know stops for gas stops for snacks stops for coffee and bathroom like we like to have it all planned out and to be cozy and nestled and comfy I know there's some women who are like super adventurous or whatever but (laughs) like I'll just speak for my own self I like to be cozy I like to know what's happening I like to have a plan and so many times God is like you know I'll take care of it and then no other details no other inclination other than his word that like he's going to take care of it with the um sort of parenthetical promise being on time you know before it falls apart and that reminds me of like so my baby sister was um she went to Yale for undergrad and I think I probably I did I mentioned before in a previous episode our mom passed away when I was a senior in college so I was 21 I think she was 14 my baby brother was 12 I think and so when it came time for college it was very much like a sibling effort and really my brother and his wife like took the they basically like took them in and were facilitating all of that so my little sister got into Yale. We were all super stoked. <laughs> she had to like actually go to Yale from Ohio. And I remember it was like the week school was going to start. And she was like, so when are we going to Yale? And my brother was like, oh, like, I mean, we'll get there on time. I just haven't exactly decided when to leave. And I just remember like thinking what in the world? Like, And we all knew that he would do it. Like he's one of the most reliable people I have ever met. And he honestly makes it a lot easier for me to envision Jesus as an older brother and as a like um, leader of the family on behalf of God the Father because he's so reliable and generous and all this. So we all knew she was going to get to Yale on time, but still it was this very like humorous approach to like not having a an itinerary, I guess. So anyway, um, that is quite a tangent, but um. Okay, here we are. Let me come back to my notes here. So I personally believe that our post-lapse... Okay, here's where I was going with this. I believe that our... And I'm just going to overuse this word because I can. Our post-lapsarian experience of dependence on God is not quite what he initially envisioned. So in case you got lost in my tirade about Yale and my family, what I'm saying is that it's a beautiful thing that God made us to operate in dependence on him. And in that way, even before everything went wrong... His strength was made perfect in our weakness. However, I don't necessarily think that our experience of being dependent on him was supposed to have been as harrowing and suspenseful as it is after the fall where things are going wrong. Because it's a lot different, particularly as an artist, but this is a conversation for another episode and I may loop one of my best friends, KL, in on this, but it's entirely different to be in a garden with fruit trees and just like pull some fruit off a tree and then have all this freedom of energy and time and faculty to be an artist than to like have to figure out where your food is coming from and like put so much faith in the basics of life being met that it kind of detracts from your capacity to create art. So I think that there's something about our experience of being dependent on God that has been affected by the fall. But the fact that we are dependent on God is not a result of the fall. Therefore, 
What that means is that there's not something fundamentally wrong with me when and because I can't sustain myself. I was never designed to. So even in Christ, the restful goodness that is um, true about us being branches and him being the vine is that apart from him, we can do nothing. Our job is abiding and in that we bear fruit. And this brings me to what was formerly going to be the next episode, but it just feels entirely appropriate to kind of just smoosh it all together in another lengthy upload. So the second thought that I was having is that is the reality of millennials as melting snowflakes. (laughs) So in the same book I was reading where I learned the word post-lapsarian, I came across this phrase, the myth of utter singularity. And um, I'm not going to do justice what he was talking about. It's on page 135 if you're interested. And the book is called How to Inhabit Time. And it's by James K.A. Smith, I believe is his name. Um, Again, How to Inhabit Time. James K.A. Smith, page 135, The Myth of Utter Singularity. And I was thinking about my recent flare-ups of feeling like a failure because I'm not the best or most celebrated at anything. (laughs) And in talking with the Lord about it, I was gifted an epiphany. Because in our defense, we millennials did not gather together and decide to be the snowflake generation. There was no you know, world meeting of kindergartners, and we just decided that we weren't going to be happy unless we were snowflakes. We were socialized that way and telling us that we were special and unique and that there was no one else in the whole wide world or human history quite like us. I think the message that we came to believe is that our uniqueness and really the parentheses on that is our uniqueness in comparison to everyone else is what gave us our value and made us worthy to be loved. So without realizing it, I think our teachers and coaches and caregivers and cartoons embedded in us an inability to contribute for the sake of contribution itself and for the cause itself and created a warped hyper-individual identity that some of us can't even be in the same room with somebody who spells their name the same way that we do. For many of us, it's not enough to just show up and do our best. We have to be the best and the only. So when we grow up and realize that actually we aren't that special and actually life often requires more than what we have to give it, our snowflakes melted tragically. We weren't equipped to embrace and appreciate the ordinary existences that we came to view as mediocrity. We became a generation of crippled perfectionists who believe that we don't have an identity unless there is no one else in the whole wide world and all of human history that does what we do the way we do it and that contributes what we want to contribute. The beautiful irony though is that the more we embrace our regularity, and dependence on God and each other, the more resources we have with which to discover the true God-bestowed hues and harmonies with which we can contribute to what someone else has already begun to put their hand to. Because the truth is that there isn't anyone that is exactly like you, but it's not that that is, that's not the thing that gives you value and worth. Like you would still have value and worth because you are an image bearer of God, even if there was somebody else just like you. Like the fact that there's not anybody else just like you is true and awesome, but it's not the thing that gives you worth and value. So I'm just going to say that again for myself and anybody else that needs to hear it. The fact that there's no one else exactly like 
you is not the thing that gives you worth and value. You have worth and value and you would have it as an image bearer of God, even if you were a clone. (laughs) So, but God doesn't make clones and that's the awesome thing. And that's supposed to give him glory, not you. Like the glory goes to God that he's so brilliant and awesome and amazing that he hasn't made any two humans exactly the same. You had as little to do with being who and how you are on the good part as the same thing as like, you know, being shaped in iniquity. And the thing of it is we all sin. So that is kind of irrelevant also. So let me stay on track here. Your value is because you're an image bearer of God, not because there's no one else like you in the world. Okay. So the less we need to be the best and the only, the more secure we will be in establishing authentic and healthy emotional attachments and cultivating tribes rather than mere collective nostalgia or trauma bonding at a distance over the internet. (laughs) I love a good 90s kid Instagram account, but you guys, there is more to it than that. We've got to get past it, okay? I think that this is something that the younger cohort have somewhat already understood too. And I think we can learn from them in this way because in recent years, I have been both inspired and convicted by the willingness of Y2K babies to so naturally just collaborate with each other and participate in group work. Like I had the privilege of helping at this conference for college students last summer at um, New Song Church out in Lake Norman. Shout out to Pastors Jeff and Julie. I love you guys. And the conference was like really great. And I remember one of the things that really stood out to me the most was I was in a room with these young creative people and we were like praying and this one girl prayed like, Lord, would you forgive us? from feeling like we have to be the only one doing something and keep us from like believing that lie. And I was like, yes, girl, like that is what I need to pray for myself on a regular basis. So I'm just really encouraged by them and their willingness to work together. And I think you see it a lot too, specifically in indie music, so much collaboration, so much group work, so much hyping each other up. And it's really a cool thing. And I think by the grace of God, there are a lot of us millennials that are waking up to the depth of our you know, layered dysfunction and, and healing from it. And there's grace too. And God having so many of us wait to start families, to lead ministries and to begin businesses. There is grace in seasons of wilderness and waiting that allow us to address and be healed from what has been festering before we get married and start families so that we can heal from what happened and not bring junk and not pass junk on to our babies and employees and whoever else. So those are my thoughts for this episode. I hope you guys have been encouraged in some way. If you have been enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and give me stars wherever you're listening. And if you are in need of some tunes to soundtrack your life, check out my debut studio EP, lifter of my head or assorted playlist on spotify 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 (laughs) you can find me there as rebecca the band and i do want to highlight one particular playlist that i have in the spirit of collaboration and christian like contemporary music not like ccm as a genre but like contemporary as a linguistic term christian music there's one um not podcast playlist that i have called Big City Coffee Shop and it is full of like less than mainstream songs by Christian artists that I think is worth listening to and maybe you'll find some new artists that you enjoy or maybe the algorithm will work in your favor but you can check that out and I will call it an episode guys I'll be back to chat to you again soon take heart